Morning, everybody. Thank you. I appreciate that. I want to welcome in those of you who are joining us at our West Campus, those of you that are joining us at our Ridge Campus, those of you that are at our Hookstown Campus, those of you that are our West Africa Campus, those of you that are joining us online somewhere. I guess what I'm saying is I'm glad you're here wherever here happens to be for you today. And as you can see, we are in week three of living your blessed life, this church-wide series and study in which we're exploring how to experience God's blessings in our life, how to live life in such a way that God is able to pour out his blessings on us. Because while we live in a culture that is obsessed with the temporary pursuit of these picture-perfect best life moments, what Jesus offers us is something better than a best life, and that is a blessed life, a life in which we can experience his presence, his peace, his power, and his purposes in every circumstance of our life. And not only does Jesus tell us that this blessed life is possible, he actually tells us exactly how to have it. He gives us eight very practical steps to the blessed life. And he does this in the eight opening statements of his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And we call these eight statements collectively the Beatitudes, which I think is a great name because these really are the attitudes I need to be if I want to be blessed. And so what we're doing is just walking week by week through each of these eight blessed statements. And since today begins week three, we're going to look at this third beatitude. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, but it's also printed at the top of your outline. So I want us to read this together out loud. All of our campuses, read this with me. You ready? Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. One more time with some enthusiasm. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Two things I find very interesting about this beatitude. One is this phrase, inherit the earth. That phrase makes this beatitude different from all the other seven. This is a unique beatitude because if you look at the other seven you'll notice that the blessing or the benefit that Jesus promises is more of an intrinsic spiritual blessing like he says you know uh, yours is the kingdom of heaven or or you will be called sons and daughters of God or you will be filled all of those are great blessings but they're more intrinsic or they're more to come later in life. But with this beatitude, Jesus promises that this blessing is available right now. That the benefits of of this particular beatitude you can experience in your physical life right now. That's what that phrase, inherit the earth, means. We don't use that phrase a lot, and if we did, we would think that means, you know, you're going to own everything, or you're going to be in charge of everything. That's not what Jesus is saying. Probably the the closest expression we have in our vernacular today that kind of describes what Jesus is saying is this one. The world is your oyster. 
right? The, the world, things are going to go well for you. That's what Jesus is saying, is that if you are gentle, you're going to have some benefits right now. The world is going to be your oyster. Good things are going to happen to you, not somewhere by and by in the sky, but right now in your daily life. The second thing that fascinates me about this beatitude is that word gentle. Blessed are the gentle. Most of the older English translations of the Bible use the term meek. You've heard that before if you grew up in church. The meek shall inherit the earth. But I intentionally chose an English translation of the Bible that uses the word gentle because I believe it's the much more accurate translation based on the language we use today. Because we don't go around using the term meek much at all. And when we do, we use it to describe someone who is weak. Right? If you think about a meek person, this is somebody cowering in the corner, you know, kind of scared, trying not to, you know, get in trouble, just trying to hide out and just get through the day. That is not at all what Jesus is talking about. In fact, Matthew, who wrote the book of Matthew, when Matthew was recording Jesus' words, what Jesus actually said, the Greek word he used is the word proutes. It's the same word that is used to describe a wild stallion that has been tamed, that has been put under control of the bit. And see, here's the thing. Gentleness is not weakness. That, that stallion is not weaker because it's tame. That same strength it had when it was wild is now strength under control of a master. And that's what gentleness is. In fact, write this down. Gentleness is strength under control. It's not weakness. It's not cowardice. It's strength under control. And so with this beatitude, what Jesus is saying is that when your strengths are under his control, you can expect some immediate benefits in your life. And that's what I want to look at today. Four ways that being gentle can benefit your life right now. Immediate benefits of being gentle. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, the first benefit of being gentle is that it diffuses conflict and disarms critics. Gentleness diffuses conflict and it disarms critics. See, we have this tendency to think that the most effective way to deal with difficult issues and difficult people is to push back. Somebody pushes you, push back. You should fight fire with fire, right? If somebody raises their voice to you, what are you probably going to do? Raise your voice back at them. If somebody cranks up the emotion, you're going to crank up your emotion. That's how we tend to deal with difficult conflict in our lives. Do you know why you do that? This is interesting. I was reading about it this week. In our brains are something called mirror neurons. These neurons actually help us mimic the emotions of people around us. So if somebody is angry, your mirror neurons are going to fire and cause you to become angry. If somebody's yelling, it's going to make you yell. If somebody's happy and energetic, it's going to make you feel more happy and energetic. If somebody is sad and depressed, it's going to make you feel more sad and depressed. It's great 
for being empathetic to the emotions of people around us, but it is a nightmare when it comes to the conflict and issues we have with other people. That's why the Bible tells us in Proverbs 15:1 that a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Nor as the Bible is saying, when somebody else gets loud, that's time for you to get soft. When somebody else raises their emotions, that's the time for you to remain calm. That's not weakness, that is strength under control. I remember years ago, and it was years ago, when I was a brand new public school teacher. And I remember trying to teach a class, I had like 35 kids, and because I was a male and a coach, they gave me all the troublemakers. And a lot of times I'd be trying to teach something, and there'd just kind of be a talking buzz, you know, just this sound. And so you know my reaction? My mirror neurons fired. They got loud, I got louder. You know what they did? They got louder because their mirror neurons fired. And next thing you know, I'm trying to teach cell biology, screaming at the top of my lungs. I get home, I'm hoarse from screaming over them, and it had no effect. Fortunately, I had an older, more experienced teacher that said, Coach, don't try to talk over them. Talk under them and watch what happens. And so sure enough, when they kind of started talking and got loud, instead of screaming and yelling, trying to talk over them, I started whispering. I'm standing up at the front of the class, and I'm teaching like this. And all of a sudden, they're like, what's going on? And they got quiet. Why? Because a gentle answer turns away wrath. Escalation leads to escalation. Gentleness de-escalates. There's some amazing, imagine, just imagine the blessing this would bring to your marriage if you brought the volume down. Imagine the impact this would have on your kids if you stopped screaming at them and begin to bring gentleness in. Imagine the impact with your coworkers. It diffuses conflict. That's a great blessing, but it also disarms critics. Did you know that? Gentleness removes the impact that critics have on your life. And we all have critics. We all have people that that don't like us. We all have people that gossip about us behind our backs. We all have people that tell lies about us. Listen, the only way to not have critics It's to not try to do anything. But if you step up, if you take a stand for anything, if you step up to lead, if you start having success in any area of your life, you're going to have critics. Why? Because some people are addicted to conflict. Some people are addicted to anger. They love a good fight. You know who I'm talking about. Don't look at them. It'll escalate right here in church. But we all have people. Do you know why? There are some people like that. Do you know the psychology behind that? Some people are addicted to anger because when they're angry, it's the only time they feel alive. They're so emotionally dead inside, they feel nothing except when they're angry and they're like, well, at least I can feel something. At least I'm alive. Some people are addicted to conflict and always being in conflict with others because truly deep down, they're in conflict with themselves. They have so much internal conflict that it just pours out of them. That's a part of life. There are people like that. There are always going to be people like that in your life. But gentleness removes the impact that they can have on your life. The Apostle Paul knew all about this. 
Paul, the greatest Christian leader probably ever, the greatest follower of Christ, he had tons of critics. He had critics within the church, the churches that he started. He had critics outside the church, the Jewish religious leadership, and they said some nasty stuff about him. If Facebook had been around 2,000 years ago, they would have been trolling him regularly. And yet, look at what he writes, 1 Corinthians 4.13. He says, we appeal gently when evil things are said about us. Is that how you respond? Do you respond to the trolls and the online critics and the critics in the office and the critics in your home? Do you appeal gently? You say, why would I do that? What's the blessing in that? If I appeal gently to my critics, isn't that just going to make me a doormat? Aren't people just going to run over me? I'm just going to become a punching bag for all the jacked up people in my life. No, here's the blessing of responding with gentleness to your critics. It keeps you from being distracted from the truly important things in your life. We talked about this a few weeks ago. You remember it? That if you spend all your time trying to answer your critics, trying to convince people who are never going to be convinced, you're not going to have time to do the good things that God desires you to do. Take the weapon away. What somebody else says about you has absolutely no control about how you respond or what you say about them unless you give that to them. And so when you reply with gentleness... When you say encouraging positive things to the people who are negative, man, it takes the weapons out of their hand. I remember way back to the early years of Cedar Creek Church when we were just getting started and nobody had really in this part of the country had ever heard of a, this type of church, a church for the unchurched. And so in the first couple of years of starting Cedar Creek Church, we received tons of criticism. There were a lot of people who criticized Cedar Creek Church without ever coming here, without ever knowing what we were all about. And the critics were not from the community. Guess where it came from? Other churches, other Christians. Like That's some kind of cult. You know, the music they play, their dress code, they don't really reverence God. We heard it constantly. And you know what our response to that was as a church? That we would only say kind things to the churches and people who criticized us. Why? Because we didn't want to spend our time fighting with other churches. That doesn't advance the kingdom and it doesn't help hurting people on the streets. And we have a mission and a vision and it's way more important than fighting with critics. And your mission is more important than trying to fight with your critics. That's the beauty, the beauty of gentleness is it diffuses conflict and, and it disarms your critics. That's a blessing you can have right now. Number two, the, the second immediate benefit of being gentle is it actually earns respect from others. Gentleness earns respect from others. Now, respect is something we all desire. We all want to be respected. In the words of that great theologian, Aretha Franklin, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, find out what it means to me. Parents, let me ask you this. Would you feel blessed if your kids showed a little more respect for you? Would that be a blessing? 
Those of you that are married, would it bless you if your spouse respected you just a little bit more? Would you feel a little blessed if your coworkers or your boss had a little more respect for you? Sure. And the Bible says the path to that respect is not to try to demand it from people, but earn it through your gentleness. Look at Proverbs 16, 11, 16. It says, a gracious or a gentle woman gains respect, but ruthless, which is the opposite of gentle, ruthless men gain only wealth. Respect is the result of being gentle, of treating others with kindness no matter how they treat you. When I read that verse, a gracious woman gains respect, you know who I think of? Mother Teresa. I mean, here's this little Romanian nun, not even five feet tall, spent most of her life toiling away in obscurity in India, working with a leper colony, and yet this no, nothing nun, this woman out of nowhere, could walk into the halls of Congress and into the halls of the United Nations and command the respect of all of those big-name power brokers. Why? Because gentleness earns respect. Sadly, that's the opposite of what the world tells us. The world says, you want to be respected, you got to demand respect. You, you want to be respected, you got to require it, force other people. And if they don't, you know, blow them up on social media. You want to be respected, throw your weight around. Let me tell you something, those things may lead to people fearing you, but that kind of fear is a long way from the kind of respect that we all crave. Great example of this in the Old Testament. King by the name of Rehoboam. He's actually King David's grandson. You know, David was a great leader. His greatest leadership accomplishment with the nation of Israel was to unite these 12 tribes. All these 12 tribes that had gone into the promised land as one nation, once they defeated the enemy and took over the land, they started to divide up in individual tribes. They were all about their own little tribe. And so they were weak as a nation. David, as a leader, united the 12 tribes once again, and they became powerful and influential, and they were able to defend themselves. It was his greatest leadership accomplishment. And then when David died, his son Solomon took over as the next king, and Solomon leveraged that unity of the tribes to bring wealth and power and prestige under his leadership. In fact, under Solomon, the nation of Israel reached its zenith as far as power and wealth and prosperity. But then Solomon died, and the crown passed to his son, Rehoboam. And Rehoboam was very young, and he knew nothing about leadership. And all of a sudden, he's in charge. And so the first thing he does is smart. He goes to the elders, and he says, what do I do? I don't know how to lead. I don't know what to do as the king. And they gave him two pieces of advice. They said, one, Always make sure you are there to serve the people and not make the people there to serve you. And secondly, they said, always speak gently to the people. And they'll follow you. They'll respect you. They'll go where you want them to go. Great advice. Sadly, because he was young, he left the old guys, went with some of his friends and said, what do you guys think I should do? And they gave the exact opposite advice. They said, look, you're young. People are not going to respect you. You got to show them who's in charge. You got to prove your authority. You got to be tough. You got to throw your weight around. And sadly, Rehoboam followed the advice of these young friends instead of the wise elders. And the results threw the nation into chaos. 
There were riots in the street. The people refused to follow. In fact, 10 of the 12 tribes broke off. There was a civil war, and they started their own nation because they could not follow this king who was not willing to be gentle. See, that's the thing. Gentleness is a prerequisite for leadership. All true leadership requires gentleness. You want to be a leader in your home? Be gentle. You want to be a leader at work? You want to be a leader in the church? You want to be a leader in the community? Learn to be gentle. All the greatest leaders throughout history were gentle people. Abraham Lincoln, arguably the greatest president our nation has ever had, led our nation through its darkest days of a civil war. And yet he was an incredibly gentle man. You know how Abraham Lincoln is described? Velvet steel. Velvet steel, strong in his resolve, but soft to the touch. He was a gentle man. George Washington, the father of our nation, almost all historians unanimously agree that he was an incredibly gentle man. A great warrior, a great leader, but a true gentle man. Moses, right from the Bible. Moses, the greatest human leader who has ever lived. I say that because, one, Moses walks out of the desert with nothing but a stick and an incredible faith in God and takes on the most powerful king of the most powerful army in the world at that time and is able to convince Pharaoh to release the children of Israel. And then Moses leads these one million former slaves out into the desert and he leads this group of complaining whining, stubborn, stick-necked people. For 40 years, he leads them in the desert. And I can just tell you, from a leadership standpoint, it's easier to take on Pharaoh than to lead a bunch of complaining, waning, whining people, right? Moses, an incredible leader. And yet, look at what the Bible says about him. Numbers 12, 3. It says, now the man Moses was very meek, very Proutus, very strength under control, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. Did you know this? There are only two people in the entire Bible who are described as this kind of proutus, this kind of gentle, this kind of meekness. One, obviously Moses. Guess who the only other person in the Bible is described this way? It's Jesus, right? Interesting little side note here with Moses. This meek, this proud taste, this strength under control, this hero of the faith. Do you know what his major struggle in life was? Anger management. Anger management. It got him in trouble all the time. He kills an Egyptian guard because he loses his cool. He disobeys God and taps a rock to get water when God said, speak and the water will come out. Anger kept Moses out of the promised land. And yet the Bible said he's one of the most meek, gentle, proudest person who has ever lived. How is that possible? Because Moses was teachable. He was teachable. See, I know some of you sitting in here today go, Philip, it'd be great to be gentle, but I just can't do it. I'm just not wired that way. I was raised to not be gentle. I don't know how to be gentle. Or it's not in my nature. It's not in my personality to be a gentle person. Look, it's not in our nature for any of us to be gentle. But if you're willing to be teachable, 
you can become gentle. And the more gentle you become, the more respected you will be. And the more respected you are, the more blessed you will be. Number three, the, the third immediate benefit of gentleness is that it makes me a better witness for Jesus. Being gentle makes me a better witness for Jesus. Listen, if you're a Christ follower, and I'm not assuming that all of us here today are Christ followers, but for those of us who are, the ultimate mission in our life is to share the hope of Jesus with the people around us. And I can tell you from experience, one of the greatest blessings you can have in this life is to be used by God to point someone to a relationship with Jesus to see their eternity change. But gentleness is a requirement to do that. Not my words, God's word. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with what? What does it say? Gentleness and respect. See, somehow we've gotten the idea that to point people to Jesus, we need to point out all the sin in their life. We need to beat them over the head with a Bible and tell them to turn or burn because they're going to die and fry while we go to the sky. But let me tell you something. It doesn't work. In fact, look at what the Bible says. Titus 3, 2. It says believers shouldn't curse anyone or be quarrelsome. You are not allowed to quarrel with others. But we should be gentle and show courtesy to everyone who agrees with us politically. Oh, I'm sorry, I misread that. We should be gentle and show courtesy to everyone who lives a lifestyle that we think is moral and correct. That's not what it says. We must be gentle and show courtesy to everyone. Listen, I learned a long time ago, you can't win your enemies to Jesus, only your friends to Jesus. And our job is not to be the Holy Spirit to run around trying to convict people. Our job is to build bridges of relational love to the lost, hopeless people around us that Jesus can walk across and he can transform their lives from the inside out. I've never, in the 30 years I've been a pastor, I've never had some, somebody share their testimony. And so I was walking down the street one day, minding my own business, and this guy showed up with a bullhorn and a picket sign and screamed at me to turn or burn, and I immediately gave my life to Jesus, changed my life forever. Never heard that story, but I've heard hundreds, if not thousands, of stories of people who somebody reached out, cared, loved, walked with them, and that love and grace and gentleness reflected Jesus and they turn to him in faith. Gentleness makes me a better witness. And then finally, number four. The, the fourth benefit of being gentle is it makes me more like Jesus. It makes me more like Jesus. Listen, God's ultimate goal for your life on this earth is to make you more like Jesus to develop more of his character, his attitude, and his behaviors in your life. We call that spiritual growth, and it's one of the primary purposes of our life here on this earth. And so because I'm to be like Jesus, Jesus was gentle, therefore I need to be gentle. But here's the cool thing. Of being gentle, not only does it make you more like Jesus, it blesses the socks off of your life. Look at what Jesus says. Matthew 11. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You see what Jesus did there? You see the connection that Jesus made between gentleness and rest? Between being gentle and finding peace and rest for your souls? Those things go together. Two questions. Two questions. Does being gentle make me more like Jesus? Yes. Second question. Is it possible that so much of the stress and fatigue and exhaustion in my life is because I am not being gentle? Answer, yes. Gentleness makes me like Jesus, and the cool thing about it is Jesus was the greatest ever at dealing with stressful, busy, crazy, chaotic life. The three and a half years of Jesus' public ministry, with the weight of the world on his shoulders, with critics and enemies who wanted to take his life, with 12 followers who never could figure out the right thing to do, all of that. Never once do you see Jesus stressed out, never in a hurry. You never see him lose his cool. In fact, the only time that Jesus displayed anger was not an emotional explosion, but a calculated act to turn over the money changers' tables to say clearly to the world that God's house is a house of prayer, not a place to profit off of the poor. Jesus was gentle, and that's why he didn't live stressed out. Same thing for you. So here's the question. How do you become more gentle? Right? How do you develop this and get these blessings? Two ways. One, you got to recognize the source. Right? You cannot just decide today, go out here, I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to treat people with gentleness and will yourself to do it. It's not in your nature to do it. Gentleness is not a natural part of who we are, but it is a fruit of God's Spirit in us. Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. It's God's Spirit in me. So to be more gentle, the first thing you got to do is say, God, pray and ask God, give you more fruit. Give you more gentleness. Start every day saying, God, please, before you get out of bed, God, help me be more gentle. But it's not just praying. If you just pray and ask God to make you more gentle, it's not going to happen, abracadabra, just because you asked for it. You got to practice it. You got to practice being gentle. Now, I want to get really practical here. I want to give you three places that you can practice gentleness this week. Because there are three things I guarantee you you're going to face this week that are going to test your gentleness. And with each of these, I want to give you a verbal cue, a trigger, a little saying that you can bring to your mind when you face these situations. See, one of the things you're going to face this week is that you're going to have some people who serve you. Probably today when you go to lunch, you're going to have waiters, waitresses. If you go to Walmart, you're going to have a checkout clerk. Some of you sadly have to go to the DMV this week, and you're going to have to deal with a clerk. So when you find somebody serving you, here's the trigger I want you to think of. Write this down. Be understanding, not demanding. That's gentleness. With the people who serve you this week, be understanding, not demanding. Look, if the drive-out, drive-in people at Mickey D's get your order wrong, it's not the end of the world. Do you really want to scream at some teenager because they didn't get your order perfect? Is that gentleness? Does that reflect Jesus? Look, be understanding, not demanding. 
Second thing that's going to happen, I'm pretty sure somebody's going to disagree with you this week. Somebody at work, somebody in your neighborhood, somebody, you're going to have a disagreement with somebody. When you find yourself in that position, here's the phrase, be tender without surrender. Write it down. Be tender without surrender. When you're in a conflict, be tender without surrender. I'm not talking about caving on your principles. Never compromise the truth of God's word. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about being velvet steel. Be strong in your convictions, but tender to the touch. Third thing you're going to have happen to you this week is somebody's going to disappoint you. Somebody's going to not measure up. Somebody's not going to do what they said they would do. Somebody is not going to meet your expectations. And when that happens, I want you to think this phrase. Be gentle, not judgmental. Write it down. Be gentle with the people who disappoint you, not judgmental. And I'm convinced if we pray and ask God to pour out this gentleness of his spirit into us, and if we practice, if we're intentional about behaving in gentle ways, we will begin to develop this character trait, and it will bless our lives. Because God blesses those who have strength under his control. And those blessings are available right here right now for every one of us. Would you pray with me? Father, I know I'm speaking for myself and I'm assuming I'm speaking for many of my friends that are here this morning that love you, that this is a struggle. It is so hard in this world and with our nature to be gentle when everything in us and everything around us screams, react, respond, push back, fight for what's right. But thank you for reminding us of the truth of your word. That gentleness is where we find the blessing. That being more like you. Loving those who criticize us. Loving those who think and vote differently from us. Loving those who live lifestyles that are way outside of your boundaries of love. Father, help us to lead our families, our church, our community, and our nation well with more and more gentleness so that we truly can inherit the earth for your kingdom's good. In Jesus' name, amen.